Good evening and welcome to this evening service. Let's start with number 81. Number 81. God of our strength and throne above, the source of life, the fount of love. Oh, let the ocean sacred flame, our souls awake to praise thy name. God of our strength, we wait on thee. Number 316, 316, I'm not sure if we have sung this song here before or not, the tune may be familiar to you, uh, if we don't know it, we'll learn it, Holy Spirit hear us. Yeah. 
Good evening. Tonight we're going to lined up singing. I just singing. so a few verses that I found um, that kind of stood out to me about singing is Psalm 66, verse 1 to 4. Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Sing forth the honor of His name. Make His presence, make His praise glorious. Say unto God, How terrible art thou in thy works! Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. All the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name, Selah. Um, so for an order of service tonight, we're going to have Samuel Solstice come up and have the children's class, and then Chris Solstice, and then Benji Glick and Sam Byler are going to be the other people that are coming. So um, now the children can come forward, and Sam, you can come, and then the rest of you guys can follow in the order that I read off. You can sit over here. All right. Good evening, children. How are y'all doing tonight? Good? Did you have a nap this afternoon? Some of you? <laughs> All right, so which of you have ever been afraid of something? Some of you? What have you been afraid of? Somebody? What have you been afraid of? It's okay. Who's been afraid of something? All right, why don't you say something? What, what have you been afraid of? You don't know? Anybody want to say something? Who's been afraid of the dark? Yeah? Monsters under the bed? No? All right. Who has never been afraid of anything? Okay, just wanted to check. <laughs> Did you know your parents are probably afraid of things sometimes too? Can you believe that? Yeah? All right, well, tonight I have something with me. This is a balloon. It's not, it's not filled right now, but I'm going to fill it. This can get pretty big. a little bit uneasy when I hold it close to you? No? Now, little think of this as fear of being afraid, all right? Why might you be, might you be afraid of this balloon? Why, why do you go like this when I hold it close to you? Hmm? What might happen? What might happen? I could let it go or it could pop, right? Make a loud noise. 
scare you, right? Yeah. So this represents fear. This is our fear. What do we do when we're afraid? when we're afraid? What did Jesus say about being afraid? You know, Jesus talks about a verse that talks about fear. What are we supposed to do with fear? What did Jesus say about fear? You know a verse that says something about that? There's a verse that I want to read in 1 John 4.18. It says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. What casts out fear? Love. That's right. So that's what Jesus tells us. That's the only thing we can do when we're afraid. We can think of God's love for us. So this balloon is sort of like our fear. How much fear do you think it's going to get? be afraid sometimes. Like this big balloon here. Now, what do you think is going to happen here? I have something in here. You see this? Oh, now, now, right? Now you're holding your ears. Right? It makes you feel a little bit scared, right? Right? Because I hold this close, you know what, what might happen, right? You're watching me pretty close now. But, you know what? So just like this balloon is like our fear. What did Jesus say? Cast out fear again? Love. So when we have love, when we understand that God loves us, and when we love God, what can happen with that fear again? What happens with it? When we know that God loves us, yeah? It gets cast out. It gets cast out. Sort of like this. Now, what if I do this again? Does that make you scared? No, why not? Because it's little, right? So when we understand God's love for us, and we love God, and we pray to him, then our fear gets more little like this. When God is with us, and we understand that he loves us, our fear is little like this, and it can't do much. We might still be afraid sometimes. You're, like I told you, your parents are afraid sometimes. Everybody is afraid sometimes. But when we understand God's love for us, and when we love God and serve Him, then our fears don't have to make us like this, where we go through life and don't want to do anything, right? Do you know a song that talks about love? About Jesus' love for us? Surely. Jesus loves me. Very good, yeah. How many of you know that song, Jesus Loves Me? All right, yeah, pretty much all of you. And I want to talk a little bit about that song, Jesus Loves Me. That song is actually really old, did you know that? It comes from over a hundred years ago. Somebody wrote that song. The verses for Jesus Loves Me, so just the verses, not the chorus. Just the verses were written by a lady called Anna Warner. 
What year do you think that was? I said it was over 100 years ago. You want to guess? Anyone want to guess? No? That, the verses for that song were written in Seven years later, somebody else called William Bradbury um, added the chorus and the music. And ever since, we've been singing this song, Jesus Loves You. Isn't that interesting? So what have we learned today? What's the first thing that we learned? What do we do when we're afraid? What do we do? What do we remember? That Jesus loves us. Very good. We remember that Jesus loves us. We can pray to Jesus and he'll be with us. And then our fear gets really little like that balloon. Mm -hmm. We can trust Jesus to help us. And the second thing about the song, who wrote the song? What's her name? Starts with an A. Anna Warner. That's right. And it was in a story that it first showed up. Alright? And to, to finish here, let's all sing the song, Jesus Loves Me. Will you help me? The first verse and the chorus. All you children, let's, let's sing it together. Ready? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. That's good, Samuel. Thank you for that. Uh, I will be continuing with the theme of love. Jesus loves me. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 3. 
And the hymn that we're going to be looking at is 774, Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. <clears throat> I've been uh, reading this passage this week and really struck by the thought of love and God's love. And one of the questions that as I was looking at this, I started to ask myself and think about is, um, and like for us to think about it together, what, so if you think about what we are called as humans to be or to do in God's eyes, <clears throat> how would we encapsulate that? How would we say, we, God wants us to be what? What does he want us to do? What does he want us to be? I want you to think about that, rule that around in your mind. What does God want of us? Who are we as humans, or what are we to be in, in God's world, in God's kingdom? And, uh, and then I want to read some, some from here. Uh, let's keep going with that thought. What are Christians called to? Are we called to obedience? Are we called to worship? Are we called to surrender? And you would say, yes, we're called to all of those things, right? Um, but I think there's something maybe even bigger or more, all compe more compelling, more, uh, I don't know how you would say it, more that God is calling us to. And I think John, 1 John 3 kind of gives us some glimpses into that. So first of all, it starts out there, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And he goes on with that theme. And then in verse 2 he says, Behold, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. So what does it say? In verse, verse 1 it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father. So God is a God of love. He's bestowed that on us. And then in verse 2 he's saying, We're going to be like him, right? We're supposed to be like God in that regard. Now he says some other... Um, <clears throat> So, so let's think about this. I, I, I think that uh, as, as humans or as people in Jesus' world, we are, we are primarily called to be lovers. Uh, we're called to love. We're commandment. Jesus God with our first love. <laughs> that God thing, it's love. That's how we should be marked. Um, and then you, you see different passages in scripture where it says, this is how people should know that you're mine. It's by the way that you love each other. And here in 1 John, I, I, so, so we're called to be lovers. Um, we're called to love. <laughs> love God, love our neighbor. And here in this passage, we see that we're called to love our brother as well. Um, <clears throat> a couple of verses here in verse 8. It, it, I, I wish we could read all of it, but I don't think we'll read all of it. Uh, in verse 6, it says, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this, now listen to this. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The purpose Jesus Came was to destroy the works of the devil. And what are the works of the devil? Um, and then in verse 9 it says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, 
Remember, Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. And now here it says, in this, the children of God are manifest. Now we're manifested. We're made known. We're like, how would you say? We're put out there. Um, in this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So the crux of the matter <laughs> Whether you're in Jesus' world or whether you're, how does it say, if you're a child of God or not, is whether you do righteousness, but very tied to loving your brother. So love is central. We're called to be lovers. <clears throat> I think about this in relation to the people we work with in Lancaster. We have a lot of Muslim friends. I remember um, years ago when I was studying Arabic in the Middle East, I had an Arabic teacher. His name was Ibrahim. I was living in Jerusalem in the old city, inside the city walls, and we had a house then. He would come to my house, and we would study together several hours a day. <clears throat> One day he came, he had this little stick, and he was cleaning his teeth. Um, and he had, the stick was like, a, it, it was a, a branch of some sort that it, on the inside, it's kind of like a, a brush, and if you take some of the bark off, you can clean your teeth with it. Now, I don't, I, I don't know if any of you ever used your, a toothbrush like that. <laughs> you know, we, we buy these at the store, right, and we brush our teeth. Well, why would he brush his teeth with that kind of a stick? Well, he said, because that's the way the prophet brushed his teeth, right? And he used a mishwak. I actually had one of my guys in my office once. He's sitting there cleaning his teeth with a mishwak. Why do you clean your teeth with a mishwak? Because that's the way the prophet brushed his teeth or cleaned his teeth. And so in Islam, um, if you talk to Muslims about the love of God, there's not much of that there, but it's much more about being slaves of God. Um, so in Islam, you're called to be a slave. In Christianity, you're called to be a lover. <laughs> I don't know about you, but what would you rather be, a lover or a slave? <laughs> I think I'd rather be a lover. I mean, it's fun. Love is beautiful, right? Love is, is, is uh, it, it's, there's life, there's joy, there's relationship, there's... Um, we experience that in our church life and married life and we don't have to be married, you know, we, we experience that in friendships. Uh, love, uh, it's a huge difference. We're called to be lovers. Now the question that I have is how do we learn to be lovers? Because, you know, you can just, Jesus said, he says, love me with all your heart, soul, mind. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Well, how do you love? How does that happen? Um, and I, I think... I think it happens by practice. Uh, because you can say you should love, and that's just kind of this idea. It's kind of like fluffy, whatever. But how do we actually learn to love? And so just a few thoughts on that. Um, how do you learn to love your neighbor? How do you learn to love your brother? And I think verse 18, later here in First John, gives a little insight into that. In verse 18, he says, My little children... Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And I think there's something very insightful there, that um, love is grown by the things that we do. So some of you have good friends, hopefully all of you, we all have good friends. We all have people in our lives that are a very important part of our lives. Maybe it's just a friend. Maybe it's somebody from church. Maybe it's somebody in high, in high school. Maybe it's a spouse, whatever. But 
how did those relationships develop? How do they grow? Uh, they, don't, they don't just grow by me telling you, to Sylvia, Sylvia, you need to love me. You know, that's not how our relationship grows. But it grows through uh, the things that we do, the things that we engage in, the practices, the, the we go on dates, not as often as we should. Um, we, as we, we'd like to. Uh, the, we talk together, we share what's going on in life, we live together, we, you know, uh, we, uh, in church life, we, we go to church together, we stay afterwards and we talk and our lives intertwine, right? We go church camping, um, we, I like to have lunch with people, uh, so, or breakfast, so my goal is to have lunch with one person from church each week, uh, lunch or, or breakfast, and that builds, that builds, you know, those kind of things are where love forms, right? It forms in those things that we do together. Love is built by practice. We learn to love certain things by engaging in certain activities. Now, if I would want my children to love, um, what would I want them to love? Well, this is neat. If I wanted to love sports, I'll, I will do things to, to nurture that, right? I will, I, will get, I will help them get involved in the leagues. I will help them go to the games. I will help them do this or that. You know, you, there's, there's ways that there's things we do to nurture that kind of love. And I think it's the same thing with God. When we, and, and anything really, when we uh, engage in those times with people, with our neighbor, with our brother, um, we, can, we can develop love. So what's the lesson in that? I think uh, prioritize relationships with the people you want to love. If you want to love people from church, then spend time with them. If you want to love God, then spend time with him, right? Get up in the morning, read the word, spend time in prayer, uh, spend time with his people. Uh, that's how those loves are developed. So we are primarily lovers. That was kind of long. The 774, let's turn to that song. The song is Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. The top of the page there, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. And then we are called, like I was saying, to reflect that. This was written by Charles Wesley. He was the youngest of 18 children, born in 1707 in Lincolnshire, England, to Samuel and Susanna Wesley. He... Uh, <clears throat> Underwent sort of a spiritual awakening later in life, <clears throat> somewhat influenced by the Moravians. And he and his brother, John, were founders <clears throat> of the Methodist movement. <clears throat> he was married to Sarah Gwynn. Three of their eight children survived. Can you imagine that? Five out of eight um, didn't make it. Uh, but he was most notably a prolific hymn writer some of the things I discovered about him, he was able to compose about 10 lines of verses daily for 50 years. Uh, that's, how, that's how much poetry he would put out. Uh, he didn't always create the best poetry. His brother John said some were good, some were mediocre, and some were exceptional. But he can be credited with some, or he's credited with some pretty uh, significant songs that we all know and sing. Uh, he actually published, Charles published the lyrics to over 6,000 hymns. So he was quite a writer. That's a lot of songs. Uh, this is one of them, Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. Christ the Lord is Risen Today is another. Come thou long-expected Jesus, hark the herald angels sing. 
Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, Jesus, lover of my soul. Um, and also this one that I just mentioned, the one that we're going to be singing here. It's said that he traveled on horseback with his wife, Sarah, and he was able to pour out words on paper even while on horseback. Uh, so he was, this was a pretty big part of, of who he was. This song itself, uh, some of the information about it, it's, it appears in 1,328 different hymnals. So it's a fairly widely used song. It's uh, in, in, a in a wide range of denominations. It's used in many different denominations. And in, there's an interesting uh, backdrop to the song. Some people think that it was, it was somewhat uh, inspired by a pagan, um, what do you call it, uh, opera. <laughs> and uh, he took some of the words from that opera and sort of or some of the themes and, and, and kind of changed it to become sort of uh, Christianized, I guess. So that was very interesting. He was taking sort of a, whatever, a pattern and theme from, from something sort of secular and turning it into something different. Um, so, love divine, all love's excelling. Let's, uh, let's sing this song. I don't have a pitch pipe, so I'll just... Uh, I'll just do it. Do you want to, does somebody want to blow the pitch?
Um, if you wanna, but, uh, I'm Sarah at the exact date and also sort of uses it to portray our own aspiration to be nearer to God. And so a few things about the Sarah Adams, the writer of the text. Uh, so she was a hymn writer, most well-known for writing this text. And she was born to a, a theologically a fairly liberal family, a Unitarian. So, um, yeah, her mother died when she was five and she was blind and fairly feeble for her entire life and died at the age of 43 to disease. So see, see um, she didn't live an incredibly easy life. Um, one uh, thing, or a few lines that sort of stuck out to me. In the first verse it says, even though it be a cross that raiseth me. Um, I think basically just the idea of like sometimes it like pain can take us closer to God or persecution or other things that happen. Um, if we take them to God and yeah, just take them to God, we can come nearer to him and just trust him more. Um, yes. Uh, so some, another interesting thing that I found is some recall it being played on the Titanic after it sank. However, some claim, some claims, or why, <laughs> as it sank. However, some claims refute this, uh, that. So uh, it's kind of interesting. Turn there, we'll sing it.
This morning, uh, Dave talked about, uh, if I can pronounce the name, Habakkuk, or however that's said. Um, and uh, I kind of fits with a little bit with what I, with the person that I want to talk about tonight. Um, where you could think that his life uh, had it all gone for him, and in a matter of uh, a couple years, maybe, or an instant, not an instant, but a couple years, he lost a lot. And uh, this man was uh, born in New York in October of 1828. But it was in Chicago that he became well known for his clear Christian testimony. He and his wife, Anna, were active in their church and their home was always open to visitors. They counted the world famous evangelist Dwight L. Moody among their friends. They were blessed with five children and considerable wealth. He was a lawyer. He owned a great deal of property in his home city in Chicago. In um, their son, when he was four years old, died of scarlet fever. And a year later, in October of 1871, a massive fire swept through downtown Chicago and wiped out most of his investments. And uh, they were pretty devastated. And I don't know if you caught on yet who I'm talking about, but it's a pretty well-known author, I believe. Um, Horatio Spafford. He, uh, him and his wife decided to take a trip to England to uh, meet up with Moody, who was doing some evangelistic uh, meetings in Europe. And they were going to go over on a ship, and when, just before they had planned to leave, uh, Spafford had some things come up, but he couldn't go. But he sent his wife and children anyway. So they headed out, and they got on the ship, that uh, was headed to Europe, and halfways across, they hit another ship. Uh, I'm not sure if I have the name here. It doesn't really matter. But within 15 minutes, the ship sank. And Horatio Spafford lost his four daughters. And the only survivor of that family was his wife, his wife, uh, his wife uh, Anna. And she sent a telegram back to him uh, that said, um, I remember what it said, uh, saved alone, I think it was. And uh, yeah, this was a tragedy to their family and he got on the ship, the next ship that he could and sailed across to meet up with his wife. Out in the middle of the sea, uh, to the best of their knowledge, they figured they're about where the ship went down that his wife was on and his four daughters. The captain called him up to the cabin and said uh, that to the best of their calculation, this is about where it happened. And he went back to his cabin and he wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And that's the song that I want to talk about tonight. Uh, it is in, on page 806 in your songbook. And uh, I think uh, for having going through what he did, uh, 
he has uh, touched on a, on a lot of things. Uh, it is well with my soul. I mean, that is pretty powerful with what he went through, and I can kind of relate to that. But this isn't actually the man I really want to talk about. Uh, I think most of you kind of know this story, uh, but it's uh, the one that wrote the music to this song, Philip Bliss. If you look on the right side, um, the song was written in 1873 and the music was put to it in 1876. Now, I believe these two men, uh, they knew each other. Uh, they both knew Moody, if I read it correctly. But Philip Bliss was born in Rome, Pennsylvania, and he was, um, some people say he was the second most famous um, musician of his time. And some people say that if he would have not passed away early, he would have been the most famous. Um, but he was born in 1838. His father loved music, and through his father, he developed a passion for singing as well. When he was about six, they moved to Ohio, but three years later, they returned to Pennsylvania and settled in Tioga City. Um, during his first 10 years of his life, he had little schooling, save his father's singing and his mother's teaching. The Holy Bible became an ever-growing influence in his life. At the age of 10, he heard the piano for the first time. And this, this is an account that was written by Ed Reese. One Saturday, with his basket of vegetables, the barefooted, gawky 10-year-old boy was to hear the sweetest music he had ever listened to. The only things that he could play melodies on were reeds plucked from the marshes, plucked from the marshes. Almost unconscious of what he was doing, he climbed the garden fence of a country estate and entered the home unobserved. Standing in the door of the parlor, he listened to the young lady playing the piano, the first he had ever seen. When she stopped, when she stopped impulsively, he exclaimed, oh lady, please play some more. Somewhat startled, the woman wheeled and saw the awkward barefooted boy standing before her and immediately exclaimed, get out of here, you big bare feet. The boy was unaware that he had trespassed and he went back to the streets crestfallen. That's how much the music of the piano had drawn him in. I don't think he even realized quite what he was doing. But anyway, when he was 11 years old, and I had to think of my son, uh, he's 14 now, but when he was 11, year old, 11 years old, in 1949, he left home to make a living for himself at 11 years old. It's, to us, that's unbelievable. At the age of 12, he made his first public confession of Christ and joined the Baptist Church of Cherry Flats, Pennsylvania. In 1851, he became assistant cook in a lumber camp. Two years later, he was promoted to log cutter and he kind of stepped up through the ranks. But I don't, his, his, that wasn't his goal for his life. He didn't want to be a lumberman the rest of his life. And he, lived, he still loved music. So his, he went back to school and he studied music. Um, 
when he was 17, um, he took his steps into preparation for that. And I think he went to school, uh, was it New York or somewhere? And he began to study music. Um, while he was still in his teens, Philip discovered that he had the ability to compose music. His first composition was sent to George F. Root with this strange request. If you think this song is worth anything, 1850 at his home, but I think different places, uh, studying music. He, I think he was teaching uh, some young, young students. But in 1864, they moved to Chicago. Uh, Philip was 26. And here he met um, uh, was it uh, Moody that he met first? I I'm, I think it was somebody else here. But anyway, for the next eight years, between 1865 and 73, he held music conventions, singing schools, and sacred concerts under the sponsorship of his employers. I he worked with the Chicago Music House, and he was. Uh, he became more popular in concert work, not yet directing his full efforts into evangelical singing. He met uh, one summer night in 1869. He was passing a revival where Moody was teaching, and he was drawn in. And that night, uh, they didn't have a very good, strong uh, uh, singing group, I guess, and his voice kind of stood out to Moody, and Moody approached him and said, hey, what, why wouldn't you come help us out here? And he did. So that was the first time that he really worked with Moody, and it kind of grew from there. Another one that he met there was uh, Daniel Whittle, um, when he was a substitute song leader. And impressed by his voice, Mr. Whittle recommended a young man for a position in choir director of the First Congregational Church in Chicago. So they moved into a house with, uh, or one of Whittle's houses, and uh, they worked with the church there. In early 1873, Moody asked Bliss to be his music director for some meetings in England. Bliss declined, and this was the, uh, this was the, um, the meetings that Moody was having that, um, Mr. Spafford and his wife wanted to go to. So that's really kind of just all connects together, which was really kind of neat. But he declined that, and therefore it was uh, Moody and Sankey. I think uh, that was a pretty popular um, evangelical team in those days. But that wasn't the end of their interaction, and Moody again encouraged him to get into uh, evangelizing and with his singing. And um, later, at a prayer meeting, Mr. Bliss placed himself at the disposal of the Lord, and he decided to lay out his fleece. He would join his friend, Major Whittle, a good evangelist in Illinois, and see what would happen. That was March 1874. At one of the services, Mr. Bliss sang almost persuaded. The Holy Spirit seemed to fill the hall. As he sang, sinners presented themselves for prayer and more souls were won to Jesus Christ that night. The following afternoon, as they met for prayer, Mr. Bliss made a formal surrender of his life to Jesus Christ. He gave up everything, his 
musical conventions, his writing of secular song, his business position, his work in the church, so he could be free to devote full time to the singing of the sacred music in evangelism. And he worked with uh, Mr. Whittle um, and his team. And this was uh, probably, he was in his lower 30s and not realizing that he had about two and a half years to live yet. Depending on the Lord to take care of his wife and two children, he joined Whittle in a successful evangelistic career. He they compiled a song, a revival songbook for use in their campaigns entitled Gospel Songs. It was a tremendous success. On Friday, <clears throat> November 24th, 76, Mr. Bliss sang at a minister's meeting conducted by D.L. Moody in Chicago's Farewell Hall. Over 1,000 preachers were present. A favorite song that was sung was Are Your Windows Open Toward Jerusalem? Also, he introduced to the gathering a new song that he had just written the music for, and this was Is It Well With My Soul? So that's when that song was first sang publicly. Um, I think it was maybe later that year. See, that was in November. So in December, he was planning to head back to Chicago. He was with his family in Pennsylvania. He was planning to head back to Chicago. And he, um, they had plans to go on a train and he got a wire uh, a telegram that they want him to come a little earlier so that he planned to go um, before the scheduled date and on December 29th they got on the train and uh, headed out to Chicago there was a snowstorm and it was about three hours late it's on a Friday afternoon as uh, 11 coaches pulled by two engines and they were moving west and they were getting to Ashtabola, Ohio and passing over a trestle bridge that was across the river. The uh, first two engines got across and the bridge collapsed. And the rest of the train, and I'm not sure if the engines unhooked or what, but I think it crashed to the bottom and what really stood out to me here was um, within a couple minutes, the train caught fire and it was basically disintegrated by the fire. But he was able to free himself and he got out of the train, but his wife was pinned under the seat and she couldn't get out. He crawled back into the train and was working to get his wife out loose from the from underneath the seat and that's how they died together um, on that train his two children had stayed back with his grandparents so they weren't with them but uh, yeah I, it's just kind of touched me that uh, this was two months before he had the, he had sung this song for the first time he had just put music to it to the song that we want to talk about. Um, 
is it well with my soul? And I think it was well with his soul. And I, uh, yeah, just uh, thinking about that and thinking about uh, what happened there and the, uh, how the song was written um, through lots of trial, uh, through um, losing material things and uh, realizing that even though we lose our children, we lose uh, material things, we lose um, whatever. If we can sing, it is well with my soul, we have won a lot. And uh, in closing here, um, I was thinking about what uh, Dave talked about this morning, and I want to read a couple verses from there. Um, chapter 3, Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in my God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And in Job, uh, it kind of took me there as well. In Job 42, when uh, God was finished uh, saying his piece, Job said, and, uh, and starting in verse uh, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And... Uh, yeah, I just, uh, I think I have to repent as well from a lot of, uh, yeah, you just, so often you find yourself in a position, why God? Why do I have to go through this? <clears throat> why me? Or why us? Why our family? Or why, there's just so many excuses or reasons or things that we can think of, it's not fair. But uh, if we can get to that point where we can say that it is well with my soul and that's really the important part. That's what we want. That's what we need. So if we can truly sing this song, I think that uh, we have found the important things in life. Some of the um, verses that have stood out to me um, Actually, it's really all of them. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows rule, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well. It is well with my soul. Verse 2, though Satan should buffet, the trial should come. That this blessed assurance control that Jesus hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. And verse 3, my soul, 
Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And then verse 4, O oh Lord, haste the day when my face shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trumps shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, even so, it is well with my soul. So let's, uh, if you want to join me in singing this song. I don't have a pitch for it as well. I wasn't expecting that I need to lead a song, but I'll give it, my, give it a shot.
We'll just sing a few more songs here yet to finish out the evening, and Brian will come up and close. Please turn to number 616. Number 616. <clears throat> I had this song in mind before I even knew that uh, Sam was going to talk about Philip Bliss, but one of the interesting things about Philip Bliss is that he wrote the music and the words for a lot of his songs. Um, the one we just sang, he did just the music. But on 616, Brightly Beams Our Father's Mercy, Philip Bliss wrote the words and music, and this song comes from a uh, disaster on Lake Erie where the lower lights were not lit in the harbor and a ship sank. <laughs> Brightly beams our Father's mercy from his light as evermore. But to us he gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. Let the lower lights be burning, send the Turn also to number 370. 370. The man that wrote the words to this song, Daniel Whittle, uh, Sam also talked about him a little bit. And the interesting, I find the story about him interesting, how he became a Christian. Uh, he was a soldier in the Civil War and had been injured, was in a camp, and had somehow gotten a hold of a Bible and was not a Christian but was reading this Bible evening after evening. And at some point, somebody came and said, you need to come and pray for this dying man that they want a Christian to come pray with him. He said, well, 
I'm not, I'm not a Christian. And they thought he was a Christian because he was there reading his Bible. And so he decided he's going to go pray with this man anyway. And in the process of not really knowing what he was doing or what he was saying, um, prayed with this man. The man breathed his last breath, and it made such an impact on Daniel Whittle that he became a Christian. And I, I didn't know till Sam was talking about it how Daniel and Philip Bliss were uh, good friends. So we'll, f- we'll close here this evening with There Shall Be Showers of Blessing. There shall be showers of blessing, this is the promise of love. There shall be seasons refreshing, sent from the Savior above. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we Showers of blessing, precious reviving again. Over the hills and the valleys, sound of abundance of rain. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we Showers of blessing, send them upon us, O Lord. Grant to us now a refreshing, come and now honor thy word. Showers, showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we Showers of blessing, all oh, that today they might fall. Now as to God we're confessing, now as on Jesus we call. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we Showers of blessing, if we but trust and obey, there shall be seasons refreshing when we let Christ have his way. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers. Well, thank you all for sharing tonight. I really enjoyed this evening how we just took the time and instead of just singing through these songs that we normally just sing through, took the time to um, learn a little bit about them and people that wrote them. So 
thought that was really interesting. Um, Y'all can stand, and I'll close in prayer, and then you can be dismissed. Dear God, just thank you for this evening that we had to gather together like this and for the freedom that we have to come worship you like this. Um, I thank you for songs and the power of singing and that we can worship you in that way. I just pray that um, as we would go from here, we would continue to worship you with singing and that we could also um, dig into the songs that we're singing and think about the words and maybe even the people behind them. And thank you for the witness that those people are. I just pray you'd be with us as we go from here. Just keep us all safe. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.